Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Myers, and you can find me on LiveTo110.com. And here is my co-host, General Lee Lowry. Hi, everybody. And you know you can find me at GeneralLee.com. Today, we are going to be interviewing Jennifer Fugo of GlutenFreeSchool.com. She is going to be talking about her new book, The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, How to Eat Healthy Without Breaking the Bank. And it's really all about why you may want to rethink gluten in your diet and how you can go gluten-free on a budget. But first, we have to do our little disclaimer. Yes, so here we go. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition, and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment or diet or even fitness regimen that we suggest on this show. So how is your newsletter coming along? Well, it's just starting, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up, and my first newsletter is going to go out this week, which I'm very excited about. And as you know, I do online training for those who are not able to be here locally in Los Angeles, where I consult on both online training, you know, that's personalized to each client as well as nutrition. And it's going awesome. I have ten clients, uh, and I'll be starting up my next group on March sixteenth. So. Oh, nice. Not, yeah. I, I might have to be one of your groupies. <laughs> I know. Well, you, you know. You know I'll take you for free. I, I'm, I'm excited to work with you. We're going to do some great stuff online to kind of showcase different exercises and things that you can do at home. So, And, and what about yourself? What's going on with you? Well, I'm excited. I started my Modern Paleo cooking show. I have the first segment that's going to be going up very soon. Probably by the time this podcast airs, it'll be up on my YouTube channel, which is Wendy Live to 110. And it's just all about um, modern paleo cooking. It's my version of paleo, or it's, you know, not so strict. You know, I believe that if people can tolerate greens and legumes and potatoes and dairy, that they should very well eat that. Um, these are fairly, these are, most of them are very nutritious foods. So, um, you know, on my take, I feel like People should be, you know, trying to figure out what foods they're sensitive to and include them in their diet if they find that they're not sensitive to them. So that's what my cooking show is all about, cooking super healthy, nutrient-dense foods. And I'm excited on Wednesday I'm shooting four episodes of it. So I'm going to be very busy shooting all about uh, how to make some uh, mushroom marinara on, on top of spaghetti squash and just yummy little dishes like that. Delicious. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and I'm stoked. I have a new, I'm sorry, like, I have so much Californication going on. I'm stoked, man. Um, I have have some horrible words I need to uh, exclude from my vocabulary. Uh, But I have a new website going up. Uh, There's going to be a brand new facelift going on over at livetoone110.com. Hopefully, it's going to be up in the next couple weeks by the time this podcast airs. And uh, I thought it was just time for a facelift. That's so awesome. I can't wait. I know I saw a little bit of behind the scenes, so it looks really good. And I know you're doing that series on the thyroid. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with that. Yeah, well, um, Sean Croxton has asked me to participate in his second opinion series called The Thyroid Sessions. And there's going to be about 10 experts on the thyroid, Chris Kresser and many, many other people in the health field, uh, Christina Orecchio. And um, I'm going to be talking about how to heal your thyroid naturally 
so that you don't have to take natural or synthetic hormones and um, basically using nutritional balancing and remineralizing your body and detoxing it so that your thyroid uh, can work again on its own. Mm, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, what I was today is a really exciting show to me because you know we're talking about gluten and gluten free, and I know I don't know about you, Wendy, but from my perspective, you know, one of the things that's come up is you know my friends always ask me like, do you do anything about gluten? What should I do about gluten? And it's funny, I never thought about eliminating gluten from my diet, and recently I just started to pay more attention to how I felt, and I was realizing. There was blo- I felt a little bloated and lethargic at time, but I never really led back to my diet. And recently, I made a decision to buy gluten-free oatmeal because I'm a big oatmeal fan and bread. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is I didn't feel the bloat and kind of that stomach pain that I had felt, nor the lethargy. And I don't know what your experience with gluten is, but I typically, you know, I never really paid attention. I felt bloated and I felt tired and I didn't know why and I didn't really think about it. But, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like it's, it's already started to help me. Uh, what about yourself? Have you had any experiences with gluten? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people have the same experience you do. I think gluten-containing foods, like mainly wheat, uh, wheat and barley and rye, that I think many people just eat these foods morning, noon, and night at every meal. So they never make the connection to how they feel to the gluten-containing foods they're eating, eating in their diet. And um, for me, I, I've been sensitive for a long time, but um, I used to have stomach pains when I was a teenager. Um, my stomach was just always kind of this gnawing ache, and then I would, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would vomit. Um, i just vomit over and over and over and be up all night. And so I, of course, I thought, oh my God, I'm dying. And so I went to my doctor, several different doctors, all of them were like, oh, it's just stress. I'm like, really? I'm 19. Like, what stress do I have? Um, so they're like, oh, here's the number for a therapist. One actually gave me a card for a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, come to find out years and years later, it finally dawned on me that I was sensitive to gluten. No doctor told me. I just was reading an article and a light bulb went off. And my favorite dish in college was a big plate of spaghetti with garlic bread. Ah. And I have a feeling on the nights that I ate that, that that's when I was up vomiting. Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so but, I think today's going to be a great show with Jennifer just to find out, like, do we have to walk around feeling bloated and lethargic anymore? This is going to be a, an, an awesome show. So Yeah, and I think it's great also to figure out how to do uh, gluten-free on a budget because some of the gluten-free products can be really expensive. So I'm really interested to hear how she kind of sidesteps, um, you know, the the little, um, you know, potholes, so to speak, of a gluten-free diet, and which is also, uh, modern, with modern paleo, I definitely advise people to go totally gluten-free. I don't, I think that the majority of people should not be eating gluten, so I'm really interested to hear what she has to say today. All right. So let's get on with the show. Um, our guest today, Jennifer Fugo, is the founder of Gluten-Free School, a website that's dedicated to teaching gluten-sensitive people simple and savvy steps to get healthy. 
She's a certified health coach known as the gluten-free guru, and she's a sought-after expert and speaker about healthy gluten-free living, who has been featured on Dr. Oz, so jealous, on CNN and the Huffington Post. And she also hosts the popular Gluten-Free School podcast about living a gluten-free life. So Jennifer, it's so nice to have you on the show. Well, thank you, ladies. I really appreciate you guys and, and your welcomed, so, such a warm and welcoming invitation to come on and share what I know about living gluten-free. Well, yeah, well, thank you also so much for coming on the show. I love having our fellow podcasters on the show. <laughs> I know. It's so great to finally talk to people when you're, you've been listening to them and connecting with them on other platforms. It's nice to finally be together. It's really cool. Yeah, so what is your story? Why did you make going gluten for your main focus and platform? The reason is that back in 2008, I discovered that I was gluten, casein, and egg intolerant. And it had been, it sounds a lot like your own story that there was this history of feeling sick for many, many years. You know, I can trace back to high school taking tons of Tylenol because I had headaches all the time. Um, throughout my teens and into my 20s, I had chronic digestive issues, diarrhea, gas, horrible bloating. And the sort of like clinker of it all was that I had put on almost 20 pounds, which I came to learn after going gluten-free. It was really inflammation in my system and not excess fat. But it felt like that at the time. I didn't really understand what I was dealing with. And so the thing that I came to realize through my own journey in you know, like you had said, you went to the doctor and you got this like sort of cockamamie answer, you know, like here, here's a, here's a business card, go check out a therapist, you know, <laughs> you get this run around. And I think a lot of women, unfortunately, a lot of women can relate to that because I also hear a lot of stories out there about women who've been blown off by countless doctors and who can't seem to find an answer. And for me, that was the same thing. My blood work was completely normal. Everything was fine, except I couldn't wake up after sleeping nine to 11 hours per night. Wow. And that's ridiculous. If at the age of, you know, 27, 28 years old, you should be able to get up out of bed after, you know, eight, maybe nine hours of sleep and feel relatively well rested. But I felt like I was completely drugged. Yeah. And, and so in going through this process of say, of the nutritionist telling me, okay, well, you've, you've got a problem with gluten and I should, I should share this. I am from an Italian family. So just like you, how your favorite meal was the plate of pasta with garlic bread. I was a total pasta and breadaholic. I mean, that was like my life. I had swapped it out for whole grains cause I thought, you know, that was better, but I was still eating a lot of gluten and I had no idea that that could potentially cause some serious issues in my system. And so after taking it out, I like within three days, it was as if I was a completely different person. And then I went to get blood work done and my nutritionist had said to me, well, avoid barley, rye, oats that are contaminated, wheat and spelt. And then here are three websites. I'll talk to you in eight weeks. And, you know, if anyone has ever gone through this where you get some, like, really shocking news that you were totally not expecting to get, and I, I mean, it wasn't just gluten. It was eggs and dairy. I had to take out three big ones. I didn't know what to do. That's what most I, people are eating all day long. Right. Like, what right. do you eat? And I was like, I'm Italian. What do you mean? <laughs> I can't. 
like, what am I supposed to do? So I went back to the drawing board and I figured out how to, you know, swap things out one for one. The problem was that a year later, I ended up with candida and adrenal fatigue. Now, granted, I'm not going to entirely blame the me getting adrenal fatigue on gluten-free food products because I, I think that there was a long history of stress and obviously being, having intolerances for a long time puts stress on the body and can really tax the adrenals. And I'm also a type A personality type, you know, and so I'm sure all of that contributed to those problems. But the age of 29, I had adrenal fatigue and candida. So I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out, well, what do I do now? Like I thought I was getting healthy. I went gluten-free to get healthy, but I wasn't healthy because the gluten-free product label does is not synonymous with health. It's just not. And that's where the idea behind gluten-free school really formulated was, okay, well, I have to live this lifestyle. I am gluten-free for life, but how can I do it in an empowering way that I can still eat food that's really delicious and nutritious, and then I can figure out whatever pieces to my unique puzzle that will help me heal and actually feel better. Because look, all those gluten-free treats and stuff, and, mi- and might I tell you, if anyone has gone gluten-free more recently, they have come a long way in the last six years because they used to be awful. But at the time, I felt like I was I had to take one for the team, you know, and I was like, oh, I got to try these brownies. Oh, I got to try these cookies. I now know how detrimental that is to my overall system. Um, and I really encourage people to take a hard look at their own unique circumstances and start to figure out what little changes they can make. Every little step matters. It all adds up to something. And that's really the, I think the, the, the trigger point for where gluten-free school came, you know, came about and, and why I'm so driven. Cause I, I, it's from my own story, but I've now had the opportunity to really help so many others connect them with information that helps them. Yeah, and I think that's a really important distinction to make uh, regarding uh, gluten-free products uh, because if you're just starting out gluten-free, you automatically, your brain thinks, okay, it's time to buy gluten-free products now. And my husband, you know, who really doesn't know a whole lot about nutrition, um, started buying gluten-free products for our daughter because we decided we should put her on a gluten-free diet. So he goes to the store and comes home with two bags full of all these gluten-free cookies and gluten-free wafers and all this stuff. It's full of sugar. And so I think it can be uh, really confusing for people who are just starting out that maybe some of these gluten-free products aren't so healthy. Well, the other thing people forget, and this is, you know, I also lead a gluten-free sugar cleanse. And the the, the piece that people forget, and this is the same thing with the quote unquote normal standard American diet is that if, you know, if you're diabetic, you can't go and have a plate of pasta, whole wheat or not. It's not a great idea because it elevates your blood sugar. Well, the same thing happens with gluten-free pasta. There might not be sugar in the pasta and you, you might turn that nutrition label over and say, oh, well, there's zero grams of sugar or one gram of sugar. It's okay. There's not any added sugar in there. The problem is after you remove what little fiber there is in most gluten-free products, 
all of those leftover carbohydrates pretty much turn to glucose. So you are ending up with very high glycemic starches that regardless of how much added sugar is in products also affects your body. So you have to take both of those pieces into account. Right. It's so funny. You just think about, you know, just like anything I was in advertising for years and you just think about how, you know, when whole grain, when, when whole grain was the hit word of, you know, being healthy, it ended up on the most sugary cereals. And now gluten-free is kind of the, the thing that people are looking towards. Uh, and so it's the same, it, it runs the same gamut there, you know? Yeah. And like I said, gluten-free is not synonymous with health. I think that some food product companies would like and love that a lot of people are confused by that. And listen, I was, I completely thought that gluten-free food was healthy. And I don't know, I, I don't think that it was the fault of any one particular person. I just figured, well, my nutritionist told me to go gluten-free. That must mean it's healthy. Right. So I made that mistake and I, you know, I feel very passionate about this topic because I got sick again. And I actually wrote a post on my website called um, Gluten-Free Bread, Why Are You Still Eating It? Yeah. And it is the most commented upon, shared, I get hate mail from this email still. <laughs> and people think that I'm being rude or bossy or mean or cruel and why should I say that you know gluten-free bread and gluten-free products are horrible and I'm like I don't want you to get sick I mean you can totally eat those that's fine that's up to you but just know what you're doing because there is a long-term consequence to consuming refined products like that mm. and you know I've been around a lot of people with diabetes severe like awful awful diabetes where they've had their legs amputated and you know they've kidney failure and i mean big big deal i get the magnitude of what it means to eat too much sugar i don't think most people in america fully understand the consequence of it because we think about diabetes as oh i gotta take a pill i gotta watch my blood sugar yeah that's that's part of it but we don't really see what the end game looks like. And, and that, I think, when you're around that, when your family members that go through that and you know a lot of people in that those positions, it does reframe your relationship with food. Yeah, well, so why don't you tell the listeners, you know, who may not know about gluten, what exactly gluten is and where it's found? Because I think a lot of people are really confused about that. So gluten is a spongy protein that is found in specific grains. And the easy way that people can remember where gluten hides is if they use the acronym BROWS. So B-R-O-W-S. It stands for barley, rye, oats, which are contaminated, wheat, and spelt. So wheat does not inherently contain gluten. We could have a whole argument about all the grains that are also considered gluten-free, but we'll keep this simple for the moment. Oats tend to be contaminated because they are grown next to and processed on the same equipment as wheat. So gluten is not a virus, so you cannot cook it away unless you cook above five or 600 degrees Fahrenheit, which most people do not. Um, nor will that happen on a grill, by the way. 
And, um, you know, anything that touches if so if you have a salad and the restaurant accidentally um, put croutons on your salad, the whole salad is contaminated. You can't just pick them off and say, oh, I'm fine. The gluten's gone. So gluten is will hide in different spots in your kitchen. It will hide in wooden countertops in your cutting boards and your spoons um, it will hide in your pasta strainers because you really can't fully clean them your Tupperware on um, a lot of the Teflon coatings where they're scratched it can hide in those little crevices it is microscopic and you can't see so gluten unfortunately is in a lot of places it's also in makeup, medication, supplements, pet food. It's all around us. And it's something that we would love to think is inherently harmless. But for some, if you're sensitive or you, for example, have celiac disease, it can cause major problems. Yeah, I feel bad for the people that have celiac because it is so, so difficult to avoid. I mean, you basically can't eat at restaurants because all of the cookware is contaminated and all of there can be just one little crumb that actually gets in your food from another, you know, patron's order, and uh, you can have a reaction. Sure. Or if someone forgets to wash their hands or clean the cutting surface. Yeah. You know, I've had clients who have gluten themselves um, by preparing other family members' meals, and you know, like maybe making breaded chicken or something like that, and they forget to wash their hands and make their own food. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they get sick. A lot of people forget the, that, that rule of hygiene to wash your hands, especially when you have food sensitivities and you're involved in this whole preparation and cooking process. It's really important. And that's the thing that's really difficult. When you're not well, when you're ill and you go to your doctor, um, one, and you're trying to d- diagnose what's wrong with you, 99% of doctors are not going to look or test for food sensitivities. And whether it be dairy or gluten or what have you, and they most doctors know very little about nutrition, and they know very little about food sensitivity testing. Like most doctors will uh, test you for uh, celiac disease, and then say, "Oh, well, you're fine, and you can eat gluten now." And this is something a topic I discussed with Dr. Tom O'Brien, who headed the Gluten Summit. I had them on the podcast a while back. So it's going to be nearly impossible to uh, d- to determine whether food sensitivities are causing your illness or mimicking your illness um, because the doctors are just not aware of it and there's so few companies that do very good food sensitivity testing. Well, and I think the other piece of this is that you're right, doctors receive very little training. My father is um, a physician and a surgeon and he received one, he said it was less than one day of t- training or education about food in medical school. And honestly, until I went through my own physical transformation, my dad was really skeptical. He thought it was crazy. But I have a really stunning before and after photo, and there was no way to deny that the food was causing a problem. Mm. But the thing I think that's important to remember, and, and I would like to clarify, you know, because I'm, I'm in Philadelphia, and I tend to work with, and I'm sure you guys do as well, I work with people all over the world. And unfortunately, like in the U.S., it's very rare to get doctors who are going to say right off the bat, hey, let's test you for celiac disease. Most people are fighting with their doctors to get tested for celiac disease. They're trying to convince their doctors that they need this testing because the doctor, there is this tendency with some physicians that they do not, they feel like it's a death sentence 
to have to diagnose someone with celiac disease because it's like I'm sorry you have celiac this stinks it's like a it's not a death sentence but it is important that people get the proper diagnoses so that they can heal their bodies because the average amount of time that it takes a person with celiac to get diagnosed is 10 years. Wow, and there's so much damage done by the time they're diagnosed. Correct, correct. And the other problem, and this this is where it gets controversial with Western medicine, is that they don't technically, there is no real definition and understanding behind the mechanisms of food sensitivity. And, you know, there are these ideas about, well, maybe it's FODMAPs. You know, that was like the recent thing in the fall. They were talking about FODMAPs all the time, and maybe that was the problem. But if you go to a functional doctor or a, a, a functional practitioner or someone who's more integrative, they look at this puzzle of the body from a much different perspective. And they are more open to doing food allergy testing, food sensitivity testing. And FYI, for everyone out there, if you go to your allergist and you get a skin prick test, that tells you nothing about food sensitivities. That is a completely different immune reaction in the body. So that is, you know, I got that question today. Well, can't I just go to my allergist and get a skin prick? No, it's not the same. I mean, I can handle bread all I want. I can handle milk. I can handle eggs. I'm fine digestively, but if I ingest it, we have a problem. Yeah, and I think I, I've heard that, that the skin test is really kind of a, just a starting point for maybe giving you an idea of what you want to do a food elimination diet with. You know, I've heard that that it's uh, that's what Chris Cresser says that it's say you they test for like eighty different foods like maybe pineapple you'll come back yeah. with pineapple or green beans that you're sensitive to and it's really just a starting point to maybe do a food elimination diet to see if you really are reacting to those because sometimes the skin test you can just be reacting to the the ingredients that are in actual fluid and not necessarily the food so that they're not totally accurate. Yeah. Yeah, so what are the, the two factors? Let's talk a little bit about um, you know how to save money on a gluten-free diet. And so to start, what are a couple factors that make a gluten-free diet so much more expensive? I think one of the pieces that seems to elude the gluten-free community, and I don't know why, but they're demanding of food producers to make food that is safe for them. That requires a lot of additional steps. So just in, for food in general, you know, when we think about, well, why is, is um, food, processed food more, more expensive long term, you know, you're asking someone to do the sourcing of materials for you, the, the prepping, the cooking, the preparation, they're packaging it for you and getting it to your local grocer. You're paying for all of that. Even the material, the box and the containers and the plastic, you're paying for all of that. And so with gluten-free food, you again are paying for that. But then you have to you know, go back to the process of how these foods have to be made. And so the manufacturer of the food, um, or I should say the food company themselves, when they go and they source their ingredients, they have to ensure that all of those, in, those little minute ingredients, every little bit is gluten-free. So either the person that is is um, providing the ingredients has to ensure that, but the food company may also want may want to as well. 
Then when it's shipped to the manufacturing facility, those ingredients, if it's not a 100% gluten-free facility, and by the way, there are very few of those facilities in the U.S., and they are very expensive to produce products in because of that, because they are gluten-free. But if you are in a shared facility, and I know this like totally freaks people out. They're like, oh my gosh, it's made in a shared facility with wheat. I can't eat this. If a product is certified gluten-free, it means that those ingredients are stored in an area where there is no wheat. There are ventilation systems especially put in to ensure that no dusts of grain, no little particles of gluten, of wheat, can come through the ventilation system and land in that room. Um, everything has to be segregated. And then you've got to process this food on the machines that are, are only going to be dedicated to gluten-free products. So they're not running lines. They can't run anything else on that line that has gluten in it. That means there are fewer products running on those lines. That is more expensive for the manufacturer. Mm. And then on top of it, a food company, if you want them to be certified, they have to pay for the certification. They have to pay to get those lines tested to make sure that they fall under 20 parts per million. Plus, you're expecting them to get certified. Well, they're going to want to announce it to you. So they have to pay a designer to redesign their packaging and then get that to you and redo, you know, redo all the products and everything. So it is expensive for all of that stuff to happen. And that is not something that the company simply eats up. They pass that along to the consumer. And then you go to the grocery store and you and say, well, why aren't there any, why don't any of these gluten-free products run in the circulars? How come there's no sales? How come there's barely any coupons? Because truthfully, there are barely any coupons you will ever see for gluten-free products. And part of the reason is just it's not possible. And the other final little piece is that this is a niche market. We might think that gluten-free is huge and that it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but it is still so tiny compared to what else is out there. And all of these realities combined make gluten-free products way more expensive. And yeah. actually, I will tell you, um, the source, there's a study out there that I cite in my book, The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, that um, gluten-free food was found to be 242% more expensive than a normal gluten-filled diet. Wow. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's definitely becoming more popular. I love it. You know, living in Los Angeles, we have lots of healthy eating options. And pretty much every restaurant I go to, they have a you know, gluten-free option. So they make it a point on the menu of saying gluten-free. But I know in a, a lot of cities around the United States, that's not an option. People aren't as aware of that or asking for that at their restaurants. Well, and I think that the other thing that really upsets people, and I am completely with them, is that if I go to a restaurant, they'll go, oh, well, you can have this burger without the bun. And, oh, we can't make the, you can't have the fries because they're fried in, the, in a, a shared fryer. Okay, well, what else comes with my meal? Well, it's just the burger. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it's still the same price. I'm like, can you give me a side salad with that? Well, that's going to be an additional $3. <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah. So, and this happens a lot is that restaurants have gotten in this habit now that they feel that people with food sensitivities, because they're asking the restaurant to do something different, unfortunately, now they can charge more. I went to actually a party, a tea party in New York City. The menu, uh, it was a five course meal for um, tea and 
uh, whatever else, these little cake, you know, the little cakes and things that they have with tea. I had never been to a tea party before in my life. It was $60 per person, an additional $17 if you wanted the gluten-free menu. Wow. Oh, wow. I know with tea, it's all the little finger sandwiches. Like, it's all gluten. Right. Well, no, they gave me, they gave me the innards of the sandwiches and one piece of gluten-free bread. (laughs) For $17. Oh, no. <laughs> Extra. Well, and I was just thinking, you know, here, going into a restaurant and ordering, I know I went to a, a diner the other day that had gluten-free pancakes, but you also have to take into consideration, surely when you go in, that some people might be using, you know, the ingredients of gluten-free, but again, cooking it in not properly, you know, in a shared area. So you kind of take that risk, I'm sure, at the same time when you do order foods you you might. It's not if, if if a restaurant has been certified, and there are a few certification process um, programs out there that will certify a restaurant. Uh, Philadelphia, we're really lucky. We have the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness here in the city, and they have a program where they'll certify restaurants locally. So they have done a really great job of bringing awareness to restaurants in Philly, but. You know, yeah, you go to a place and I've had a lot of instances where they'll claim that the fries, the fries on the gluten-free menu will be, you know, oh yeah, they're gluten-free, but when you inquire, are they in a separate dedicated fryer? Well, no, but, you know, we don't fry anything else. Well, what about your onion rings? What about your mozzarella cheese sticks? Well, it doesn't pass. It just cooks away. Like, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. But there are some restaurants that do have processes set up. They have separate preparation um, stations. They have um, the cooking utensils, excuse me, uh, that, you know, are dedicated only to uh, gluten-free customers that come into the restaurant. So there are some restaurants that will do things special for us. And you just have to inquire. I love using Find Me Gluten-Free. It's an app on my phone. And then I call from there and I ask a lot of questions to know whether I feel comfortable eating in in an establishment. That's great. So your book, it's called The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper. So why do you use the word savvy so much in your book? Well, the reason is I, I... cannot stand that people when they want to save money they just like it's on a shoestring or it's super cheap and everything's got to be cheap and we have to look for a deal the problem as i'm sure you both know is that very cheap food comes with a price tag it might not be today i mean i don't feel great when i eat cheap food in general but when you eat cheap food and when i say cheap food i I mean really refined, processed, sugar-laden, awful fats added to that you know, product, you don't feel good. And it has a long-term price tag of a reduced quality of health. And so instead, the idea is to become savvy. You become really smart and you begin to ha- f- figure out little hacks in order to save money, to set yourself up for success in your kitchen, um, to have what I like to call a whole arsenal of fast food. But when I say fast food, I don't mean it in a traditional sense. I mean it from the sense that you could pull something out and put a meal together in maybe 10 or 15 minutes and it's safe food that you've already cooked, but you knew what you could put in your freezer and grab out of the pantry to combine a meal and just get something on the table that everybody will love for dinner. 
And so that's the idea is becoming savvy and smart and intelligent about your choices instead of, you know, well, can I save a dollar? I'm just going to get this, even though I, I don't think it's quite gluten free, but I'm, I have a coupon and it's, you know, 75 cents, you know, 75 cents off. I think people that fixate just on the price tag are not very savvy at all because they don't, they lose sight of the greater picture of one's health down the road. Yeah, I always uh, love a saying that you're going to either pay for healthy food today or you're going to pay for doctors and medications and nursing homes later because yeah. it's going to negatively uh, impact your health. You have to pay the, pay somewhere at some point down the line, so you might as well buy healthy food today. Exactly. So what's the first step to becoming a savvy gluten-free shopper? Well, I think the first step is to take stock of what you have in your kitchen. A lot of people go to the grocery store and they have no sense. This is one of the things that I find with my clients when I first started working with them. They, they really aren't sure what spices they have. They don't know what oils they have available, what's in the freezer. You have to take stock of what is in your kitchen. What do you have now? And then the next step is starting to become more aware of the foods that happen to be gluten-free. Now, I know that you guys probably have a lot of uh, a varied audience, and even for people who are, you know, say, paleo or have a whole slew of food sensitivities, many of the tips that I share are completely applicable um, because and use, usable because it's really about eating food that happens to be gluten-free. Right. That's the idea. It's like, let's get away from the boxed and packaged products and, and get back to eating real food that we under our bodies know exactly what to do with this stuff. They know it has the right nutrients and minerals and all these other things in it that the body knows like, okay, I've got everything I need in order to properly absorb this. Let's hope that we don't have too much damage in the gut that we can do so. But you know, you walk into the produce aisle and almost everything there is gluten free. I mean, I'm, I say almost everything because sometimes now they put like protein bars and other random items in the produce aisle to sell more things. But aside from that, the stuff that grows in the ground, that's pretty much all gluten-free. And you go into the poultry aisle and the meat aisle and the fish area and the seafood and the nuts and seeds. I mean, that all that stuff happens to be gluten-free. When you break free of focusing on gluten-free food, all of a sudden you realize you've got a whole world out there of really incredible nutrient-dense food that you can eat. And so what I suggest to people is if you're going to go to the grocery store, start looking at your circulars. Um, you know, even Whole Foods, if you shop at Whole Foods, they have circulars to show you like what of these foods that happen to be gluten-free are on sale. And what I do is I, I don't have a Whole Foods that's like super close to me. I have another grocery store that's about five minutes away. And I, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I look for what's on sale. So like onions, for example, onions, you could get a, two bags maybe for the price of one some, some weeks. So you go, you take those two bags, you chop up those onions, put them into freezer bags, all of the onions, and then store them in your freezer. And then over the course of the next two to three to four weeks, you have your chopped up onions all ready to go. So when you take, when you want to cook, you now no longer have to prep those onions. You know, it's the same thing with all that produce. You start to get savvy with the ingredients that you use the most. And you start to go look around you and say, okay, well, I need 
the thing that kills me the most I, was like celery always bothered me. I buy a head of celery and use three stalks and the rest of it goes bad. And celery is expensive. Conventional celery is like $3 around where I am. And if it's, you know, organic, you're looking more $4.50, something like that. So it, it almost like physically hurts me to think like, oh my gosh, I'm wasting this much food and it's money. FYI, it's money. What you throw in your trash can is your money. Yeah, I've got I've got rotting I have rotting celery in my fridge right now. Oh, so <laughs> what I do is I chop it up, put it in a freezer bag, and put it in the freezer. So when I go and make my soups or stews, especially with like crockpot stuff, I just add in what I need from that bag and put the rest in the freezer. It stays good in there for about a month. Oh wow! And that way, you're not throwing away fresh produce. Um, the same thing you could do with fruit. I mean, I am like a big fan of not throwing fruit away because it is wicked expensive, especially if you're going to buy organic fruit. And like with bananas, you can peel them, put them in freezer bags and put them in the freezer. It's great for smoothies or making your own soft serve ice cream. If you have a Vitamix or one of those Yonana machines, um, strawberries, uh, various berries. Um, I've cut up peaches, pears. You can cut up pears and freeze them and they're excellent in smoothies oddly enough. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do with all different produce. And I was going to say too, um, watermelon. I never knew what you could do with watermelon. Like if I'm going on vacation in the summertime and I have like half a thing of watermelon left, you just chunk it up, put it in a freezer bag and put it in the freezer. And it's watermelon smoothies with just some water and like some mint are phenomenal. Mm, that sounds good. That does. The, sound great. Again, the idea is like, what do you eat? And what can I do, not necessarily to, um, you know, save it right in this moment, but when you start seeing things go bad, how can we stop it from being thrown in the trash? Because a family of four in America, on average, throws away 25% of what's brought into their home. I think especially when it comes to vegetables, I think people are really good at, they want to buy them with good intention, and then they, Mm -hmm. they end up rotting in the fridge. Sure. Or you buy those bags of spinach, baby spinach. They look so beautiful. And two days later, you open up your veggie drawer and it's all slimy and gross. You know, and so there's a lot of different instances where we buy things with good intention and we don't have a plan. And so one of my big things is trying to encourage people to get into meal planning of some sort. You don't have to do this whole massive, you know, one month plan. But oftentimes we lack the structure. And to be honest with you, meal planning is a life skill. It is something that is so important to making sure that we nourish ourselves, but it is a tradition that is not passed on. It is not something that we learn from our mothers and our you know, fathers who happen to cook. It's especially for women who are really busy with a lot of kids. When do you have time to figure out your meals? Most people are doing it on the fly, opening up the fridge and going, what can I throw together? And that's not a practical nor healthy way to live. It's incredibly stressful and it costs you more money long term. So I believe that if you create the plan, and I'm sure, you know, if you have, if you're a coach or a trainer of any sort, you know, even someone that does consulting with businesses, you know that having a plan is so important. And it's been my experience because one of the things I didn't actually share earlier was when I developed adrenal fatigue and cancer. And I couldn't go back. I couldn't just say, okay, the heck with it. I'm going to continue to eat gluten-free products however much I want. Was that my husband had gotten laid off from his job suddenly. 
And we were really shocked that he got laid off. We weren't expecting it. So we lost two-thirds of our monthly income instantly. And I had to figure out, well, how do I eat well without going over what was, you know, before a sizable budget. Now I don't have very much. How do I do this? How do I make this happen? And so a lot of these these hacks and tricks that I figured out was a way to be able to eat healthy so that I would be able to continue to heal my body so that, you know, six months or a year down the road, I would be able to get back on my road bike and be feel energized and have a life. And so for me, you know, I think what a lot of people, and this is the one thing, like I'm a big fan of like, if we could all eat organic and buy our, you know, wild caught fish and our grass fed meat, I think that's fantastic. Do it. But if you don't have the budget for that, and there are a lot of people who don't, I think you have to prioritize what is going to be most valuable to you. And for me, I I really think that if you're going to spend more money on something, the first things to spend more money on are your meat, your eggs, and your dairy. I agree with you. Because I think those are some of the most nutritious foods that we can eat, most nutrient-dense, and we've got to fork over the cash to buy the highest quality we can get. Yeah, and you don't want all the contamination that's lingering in the fat of those animals. Right. You know, you want food that, I mean, you're eating, in essence, you're eating a form of what those animals ate, you know, and so you really want to look for the a higher quality there. But when it comes to fruits and vegetables, organic is great, but not everybody can afford it. So look at the dirty dozen list and make judgments based off of that. So maybe you save some money on buying the onions. You save some money on buying your avocados and your bananas and your sweet potatoes. Whereas other things that are higher up the list, like berries and peaches, peaches are like number one for the most, I think, pesticide ridden fruits. And for people who don't understand that, you can't just wash them. It's in the flesh of the fruit. So you are eating pesticides. Um, you know, maybe you say you splurge in the, those areas and buy the organic there if you can. But if you can't, I say this to people all the time, I'm like, do what you can with what you have. I'd rather someone eat fruit and vegetables than not eat it at all because they say they can't afford organic. Um, and the, and another great thing too is frozen vegetables and fruit are another great way to go, especially if you don't have time to cook all week long. If you want to cook, you know, two, I, I really coach my clients around how to cook twice, maybe three times a week and that's it. And, um, Frozen vegetables are a huge helper in reducing the budget because, again, you're not going to waste those foods, but you've also got stuff you can just pull out of the freezer and add to meals. So maybe you have like, you know, two or three servings of a meal, but you've got four people at the table. You out now add some frozen vegetables. You, you know, get some two or three sweet potatoes out and all of a sudden you may have enough food now for everybody with like a nice salad in the middle. So. Well, can you tell the listeners one of your very favorite tips or strategies that you share in the book? Oh, well, I already shared the onion one. Um, I also love to, oh gosh, um, well, as far as for non-paleo people, I freeze rice and quinoa. 
Um, you can freeze those once they're cooked and they defrost very quickly. You don't really have to do much and you can just add it to anything. If for, for people who are grain free or paleo and you do the cauliflower rice, I, I just process the cauliflower and freeze it in freezer bags. So when I want to add it to a recipe or I want to make it, um, I just add it to the pan. It's, it's incredible. Like, I don't know, cauliflower is such a versatile plant. Um, the other thing that I really like to do, which I, I don't think is in the book, but I think it's a great, it's a really great tip, is I don't use nut or coconut milks in my smoothie. I like to make smoothies in the morning. And I started using water with the realization that when I was making almond milk, so I expend energy to make almond milk and then don't know what to do with the pulp that's left over. And frankly, I am so not... I'm so over the dehydrating thing because it's just too much work for me. I don't have that much time. Um, but I was throwing it away. I was throwing the pulp away. And so what I realized was, well, why don't I just use water and put the nuts, the whole nuts, into my smoothie? That way I'm eating the whole nut, <laughs> you know? Right. So I do that now. I just add, I'll either add like a handful of um, coca. Uh, not obviously unsweet everything is unsweetened but I'll add ground up or um, flaked coconut or almonds or cashews or whatever type of nuts you can even add sesame seeds I have a Vitamix so it, it purees everything down to nothing and it, I honestly you know I, I really I think that's a better way to go you plus you don't have to spend money on nut butters as well like nut butters are expensive and that way I can save them for you know from having an apple or I want to have some celery sticks with some nut butter I'm not wasting the nut butter putting it in a smoothie when I can just add a handful of nuts that's great you know like I was saying earlier in the show I've just started thinking about you know, paying attention to what's going on with my body when I am eating things with gluten in it. For folks who are new at home, like what's, you said, you know, making a priority list with not only just your food, but in your life is really important. What, what are the top three things for them to start to figure out, you know, one, how to eliminate gluten from their diet and, and where to go from there? So if you could name like three things, the top three things to, to start this way of life, what would you say? I would say, first of all, if you're going to begin eliminating gluten, figure out a very simple breakfast. Um, something in the crock pot, like maybe a frittata, a crock pot frittata of some sort, which is naturally, would be naturally gluten free. And I would suggest to people, like, check out paleo recipes because they tend to have the less processed ingredients in them because <laughs> they're usually more whole food based. Um, and so that's always a good tip. And that way you kind of deal with breakfast in and of itself. If you want to have those like couple maybe cheat breakfasts where you have some gluten-free granola or a smoothie, that's totally fine. Um, but find something that's nutritious that you don't mind eating, you know, maybe two or three days, maybe four days, if it can, if it can go that far in a row. So it simplifies the, the morning process because that's usually what trips people up. The second thing that I would suggest is to start using your crock pot. The reason is you can get probably six to eight servings, depending on how big your crock pot is, out of a recipe. And a crock pot recipe is something that you can add a lot of vegetables to. You know, if you eat legumes, if you eat grains, you can add them to it as well. So you can make that dish, those six to eight servings of what's already in that container, go a lot further. Mm. And so that way you then have lunch, you have dinner for several days. And lastly, I would say, 
you've got to plan your meals. Even if it's only that you pick five or six recipes to make that week, you have to plan your meals. I have found, because I've done a lot of different variations of elimination diets, as well as shifting over to a more paleo way of eating, that if you do not have a plan and you are not comfortable with that way of of eating, it's pretty much a recipe for failure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just coming from uh, being a trainer as well as providing nutrition plans, the first thing that I always do is talk to my clients about we always have to have a plan in place. And that's true in life because we're emotional creatures. We will grab for whatever our emotions tell us to grab for unless there's a plan in place and we know what's on the yes and the no list. You know, we'll grab for whatever that sugary food is really quickly just based on emotion, you know? Yeah. And, and, as you said, it's like, it's that bad habit. You go back to what's most comfortable for you rather than reaching toward whatever snack. And it's usually where the downfall happens. It's a snack or some sort of dessert that will ruin, um, your, your, your good intentions. Mm -hmm. So by putting a plan in place, you can say, Oh, well, you know what? I don't have enough food for lunch this week. I actually need to make something else. And you know what? I'll give you an extra tip. Tip number four, I always make leftovers. I'm not a big fan of cooking fish um, in the beginning of the week because simply because you can only reheat fish if you even like reheated fish, but you can only really eat it the next day. So I really try on like Sundays when I cook a ton that those are the days where I'm doing meals that are going to last three to four days so that I can get to the end of the week and then maybe cook once, maybe twice, but we tend to go out closer to the weekend. So I, I really give myself a lot of breathing room and I'm intelligent about what I choose to cook and when, and that makes for a lot less stress. That's great. Thank you so much. Well, Jennifer, I have a question that I like to ask all of my guests. I think it's a really uh, important question. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I know I tweet I, mean, I tweeted can, it to you last night. I got to be prepared know, for this I question. I was like, gosh, we could talk about Monsanto. <laughs> we could talk about you know like cows and all sorts of create the bees i mean what what is the most pressing issue global warming um i think you know as far as for people who are gluten-free and i'll I'll probably i'll try and keep it to that is that you have to start someplace if you stay in a space of feeling completely powerless and not making any changes at all and looking at all of the people who write about gluten-free and and a lot of them are my friends and I love them but if you just look at what they put up on social media you're going to think that people eat um, sticky buns all day gluten-free sticky buns all day long and that's not reality you have to eat real food It's really important because your body cannot heal. Your gut cannot heal and you will not feel better until you make changes to your diet and that you have to start putting yourself first. If you don't put yourself first and make yourself a priority and literally start to take care of your own needs, nothing will change, nothing. And it becomes very easy to cheat 
to, to um, you know, appease everyone else's desires. You have an inability to say no to people. Um, I've been there. I've done that. And I understand fully now in order to get better, you have to make yourself a priority and take care of yourself. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because it's almost like um, since the majority of the world is not uh, gluten-free, that you do run up against a lot of obstacles with family members uh, trying to offer you food or going to restaurants, just kind of everywhere. Um, the, the stakes are against you <laughs> with going gluten-free. Yeah. yeah, and you know what, too, and I think this, you know, I say that about in re- relation to gluten-free, but I think it's anyone that's trying to make a change, whether it's, you know, fitness, but especially with food, because food can either be, you know, as we know, food can be thy medicine or it can be thy poison. If you don't put yourself first, and I think for women, that's really, really challenging to do. But if you don't put yourself first, it's, you're not going to, it's not going to stick. There's no amount of willpower that will save you. So you've got to put yourself first. I love the show. It's awful. It's my like dirty little, um, my, my little TV cheat during the week. I watch Scandal and I really, I really love, um, how Olivia Pope, the main character is like, are you a gladiator? And I'm like, yes, I'm a gladiator for my own. <laughs> I put great first. So, you know, I think that's the most important thing that we have to realize. We have to be gladiators. We have to stand up for what we need. Um, you know, even when it might be controversial, even if you know that Uncle Bob is going to, you know, give you a hard time, it doesn't mean you have to fight with Uncle Bob, but it's it's not really important to Uncle Bob if you eat pizza or not, but it is important to you. And I, I you know, I think that, in, and, and I look at this from times when I, Uh, There was about a six-month period several years ago where I wasn't, I had really gotten depressed and felt down about the whole process and felt very isolated. And I realized that I was no longer taking care of me. So when you take care of yourself, it's incredible the amount of things that can change and transform in your life. So, Well, thank you so much for that, Jennifer. I completely identify with what you're saying because... I live a very healthy lifestyle, I try, but my husband is not, so I'm constantly offered food that has gluten, that's not healthy, pizza, hot dogs, hamburgers that he loves to bring home and eat, and it pains me to watch him eat it, and I'm it's constantly in my face, tempting me, um, but I, I do have to make those little choices every single day to take care of myself and, and my daughter as well to keep her from eating those foods, so it can be really challenging for all of us trying to go gluten-free. Yep. It totally, <laughs> totally can. I will tell you with my husband, I'm, I asked him to watch Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. It's a documentary with Joe Cross. Mm-hmm. And it is about juicing. I'm not, I'm not like a big proponent of like a juicing fast diet or any of that stuff, but I just wanted to watch it because I had heard that it was an interesting movie. My husband works in TV and he finds pretty much 95% of all those food documentaries out there to be like utterly boring and he can't stand watching them. He not only loved the movie, but he at the end said, I want to start juicing with vegetables. Can we start doing that? And he did. We started with beets and carrots and the sweeter things. And then he said to me, you know, I don't think I need so much sweetness in this. Can we add some romaine and some celery and some other things? And my husband was asking me, and mind you, we're still in the midst of winter, so I'm not juicing him any veggies right now. But he did ask me a couple weeks ago when we would start juicing vegetables again. So that movie, because it's very non-dogmatic, 
dramatic and it really shows an incredible transformation not only of the Joe Cross the main quote unquote character of the movie but um, of some other folks in it it really helped change his mindset and it's I've actually had a lot of clients show it that movie to their husbands and it was also helpful so maybe you could get your husband to watch it well no my problem is that when we first met I was the horrible fast food uh, you know just terrible diet eater and he was juicing he was juicing and eating mung bean sprouts and taking so we have just done a complete 180 it is the strangest thing I have ever encountered <laughs> so he knows how to do it, but he just doesn't want to right now. I know, it's hard. Well, Jennifer, why don't you tell the listeners how they can get a copy of your book? As I, I'm excited to read it. I, I really identify with a lot of the things that you talked about today, and I throw away a lot of food, I'm ashamed to admit. So I actually uh, really need your book. <laughs> Well, I hope that you enjoy it, and everyone else can get a copy of, it's actually called The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, How to Eat Healthy Without Breaking the Bank, and it is available on Amazon. If you want sort of an easier way to get to the Amazon page, you could go to my website, which is glutenfreeschool.com, and right on that front page, I have an image of the book with the link to that um, that uh, landing page for the book on Amazon, so it's a really easy way to get it. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Jennifer. I loved all of your tips and tricks that you talked about today. And I know that the listeners out there are really, hopefully are starting to think, hmm, maybe there's something to this gluten-free and maybe it's something that I could be doing that, you know, could start. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. I really appreciate it. If you want to learn all about detoxification, the modern paleo diet, or healing your health conditions naturally, go check out my site, livetoone110.com. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Twitter at I Will Live to 110. And I'm also on YouTube at Wendy Live to 110, home of the Modern Paleo Cooking Show. And you can find me on Instagram, Google Plus, and Pinterest at Live to 110 as well. And if you want to learn more about me, you can find me at generallee.com. My Instagram to follow some of my pictures of in fitness and in food is uh, the IG name is Jen Lee. Or you can find me on Facebook at my Facebook page, which is General Lee Food and Nutrition. And again, I do online training and nutrition there. And if you like what you heard in the show, please give the Live to 110 podcast a review on iTunes. We need the reviews. Make it a positive re- review and we just really appreciate it. So, Yeah, and that'll help us get higher up in the rankings so that we can get our message out to as many listeners as possible. So everyone, thanks for tuning in. I hope this podcast gets you rethinking eating gluten-containing foods like wheat, rye, and barley in your diet because I think that the single elimination of one of one is one of the best things that you can do for your health. I'm totally anti-gluten. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.